You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we are kingdom citizens, and we're going to see this morning from God's Word how God describes those of us that are kingdom citizens. If you were here last week, we began to see that we are dual citizens. If you're a citizen of of the United States of America, there are some responsibilities that go along with that. But even greater responsibilities and privileges of being a part of God's kingdom. We saw in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 last week, this statement... Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, welcome, citizens of heaven. This is earth, and as long as you are here, you will be constantly clashing with other kingdoms. So uh, last week we learned about how we live in the land in between, and we're homesick for heaven, and yet we know that it is through kingdom citizens that God's kingdom shines to the kingdoms of this world. So I want us to see here in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, some descriptors of these kingdom citizens. There are five of them, and we're going to kind of unpack them over the course of the next four weeks. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2, 9. But you, kingdom citizens, are a chosen race. Everybody underline the word race in your Bibles. If your neighbor is not underlining that word, just reach over and underline the word race in his Bible. And by the way, if you haven't yet picked up the tension, I want to create it right now. We are going to talk about race this morning in church because God has some things to say about race. We, as kingdom citizens, are described as a race, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. How many of you remember that season of life? Remember when you were not a people? You didn't have a people group that you belonged to. Your citizenship was not yet in heaven. Once you were not a people. But he says now, as kingdom citizens, you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy. Remember that stage of life? How miserable and lonely and fearful it was? But now, kingdom citizens, you have received mercy. So we have an identity that is set apart from every other racial identity that you may belong to. Now, I am going to take a risk in church right now, okay? What's our theme this year at church? What is it? Be bold. I'm about to be bold right now. I'm about to take a risk. I want to uh, let you know at the beginning of this sermon illustration, no one will be harmed or injured in any way, okay? Or embarrassed for that matter, all right? Now, I, I watched you coming in this morning, and I just kind of took a glance at those that were here, and I noticed there is a majority race that kind of represents this congregation, all right? Now, uh, we want to kind of find out who, who's here, not to embarrass anyone in any way, but um, if you can really 
describe yourself no other way than, I mean, how do you even talk about these things in church? Um, Anglo-Saxon, I was told with somebody, by somebody with a sociology degree, that is the proper term for white people, Trent. You can't just call people white, all right? So if you are a person that would be described as Anglo-Saxon or Caucasian, or you're just white, all right? Um, if that's you, now by that I mean this. I'm not talking necessarily about the color of your skin. I am talking about, I just don't know of any other way. There's no slash in my descriptor. I, my mama's white, my daddy's white, all my grandparents are white. I mean, we don't have any German or Korean or Asian or American Native Indian. We just, I don't, we just, we're from Indiana. Uh, we're just, if that's you, okay, did I describe that group? Okay, if that is you, would you just stick your hand in the air right now? Just stick your hand in the air. I just want to look around. I'm not looking at faces. I just kind of, this is, it would, is this the majority? Okay, this is the majority, if you would want to call that a group, a race. Now, really quickly, if you're not in that category, just lift your hand in, in, in the air real quick, just real quick, just, just look around, we just kind of want to see numbers and numbers. I mean, you've got something of some other ethnicity in your background. Okay, I want to say a word to those of you who are other than the majority. I just want to acknowledge at the beginning of this message that some of you have scars in your past related to racial discrimination. You may have been belittled, or you may have been oppressed. You may have been denied opportunities. You may have been disadvantaged. And I want to say at the beginning of this message, I, I acknowledge that is a part of your history. And this message is to help us all. The second thing I want to say to those of you that are other than white is this. That's not going to happen here. You are loved, you are valued, and you are welcomed as kingdom citizens. We are a chosen race because of our identity in Christ, because our citizenship is in heaven. We have a racial profile that transcends whatever may be part of your ethnicity or cultural background, okay? And I also want to say to some of you that are white, most of us have no idea how to even comprehend some of the injustices that have been a part of the history of those in that other group. David Platt says it this way in his book, Counterculture, which, by the way, you can pick up out at our resource center. He says this, the body of Christ is a multicultural citizenry of otherworldly kingdom." And this fact alters the way that we live in this ever-changing culture. Let me tell you a little bit about my background, okay? Um, I grew up in, in a very interesting town. The town is Lawton, Oklahoma. It's about 90 miles of, uh, southwest of Oklahoma City. And when I was in high school, I remember reading an article in the USA Today that listed the top 10 most racially integrated cities in America. My hometown, Lawton, Oklahoma, was number four, okay? And so every morning, 
I had a friend that came by and picked me up at school. He was about a year older. He had a driver's license in a car, and he was a friend, and he, he drove past my house. He picked me up, and my friend was a six-foot-three, very athletic, black friend with the most amazing afro, 1984, that was ever invented. I mean, it was awesome, and so there we were on our way to school. When I got to school, I stepped into my classroom. There was five white guys and five black guys, and there was about 15, 20 others that were just a mix of everything, okay? So Lawton, Oklahoma, the reason why it was so racially diverse is right outside of Lawton, there's an army base. It's a ar big artillery base where basic training is done. It's called Fort Sill. Has anybody ever been at Fort Sill? Anybody? Yeah. Every, every congregation I go to, there is someone who has been at Fort Sill. About four weeks ago, I was in Cleveland, Ohio. I was preaching at our Harvest Bible Chapel there, and um, I mentioned in my message that I was from Oklahoma. Before the service, right behind me where I was sitting, uh, there, was a, there was a man, and I just felt like I knew him. I just like, I, I, he just looked familiar, and, and just like, I wonder, I wonder where that guy's from. Well, in my message, I mentioned I was from Oklahoma, and so the guy said to me after the service, he said, you said you were from Oklahoma, and the guy says to me, um, I'm from Oklahoma. I was born in Oklahoma. I said, where were you born? He said, Lawton, Oklahoma. I said, where did you go to high school? Eisenhower High School. That's where I went to high school. Where did you go to college? Cameron University, Cameron University. Now, the reason that I felt like I knew him is because he was Japanese-American. And everybody in Lawton, Oklahoma, other than the few of us that were white, had some slash American ethnicity to their names. So th there were a lot of Hispanics because we're close to... Mexico, Texas. There was a lot of native Indians because it's Oklahoma. There was a lot of black guys and, the, and, and white guys and these GIs. They would be stationed or deployed to some other part of the world like Korea or Japan or Germany and they would fall in love and they would bring back their bride to America and they would have babies and the babies would show up in my classroom. And we were all just kind of there. We were just this big melting pot. And so um, it was just, it was really, it was not a thing for me. I didn't know that people from different ethnicities didn't always get along because some of my best friends, I didn't even know what they were and I really didn't care and we didn't even talk about it. It was just like we were just all one together. Now, I moved from Lawton, Oklahoma to go to graduate school in Memphis, Tennessee. One of the most racially divided cities in our country. It's where Martin Luther King was assassinated. And all of a sudden, I realized that, that we have some issues. And those issues have continued to this day. Even to this day, American citizens are absolutely baffled why, by the racial tension and the racial divide and the race riots that we see. Eight years after electing the first black president, it seems like it's even worse. And we thought that that was going to bring some unity, but it hasn't. And, and the reason for all of this is almost all discussion on racial issues in America are gospel-less conversations. They are void of the very thing that brings unity. American citizens should look at kingdom citizens to figure out how do all these people from all kinds of different backgrounds live 
and love and worship under one name committed to one king, it is because we are kingdom citizens. So the question is this, what do kingdom citizens know that so many American citizens don't? And what do we have to offer to them? We're going to answer that question in three points. Here's the first one. Kingdom citizens are a chosen race who view all other races through the lens of Scripture. We believe that God has revealed himself and, some, and revealed some things about his creation that helps us understand how we all can get along. So we need to define this word race. We see it here in the scripture. Um, your version, the NIV, uses the word people. You are a chosen people. That's kind of a vague term. The King James Version and the New King James Version uses the word generation. It says you're a chosen generation. The English Standard Version that I preach from says you're a chosen race. The actual Greek word is the word yenos, spelled with a G. And from that Greek word, we derive our English word generation or genealogy and even Genesis. And it leads us to understand it's all about this family tree, this ancestry and this heritage that we've all received through multiple generations of God, um, creating babies and people multiplying and filling the earth in obedience to his command. If you look at a, a secular dictionary, so Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary defines the word race this way. It's a division of mankind. Even that part is not helpful. Um, it's a division of mankind possessing traits that are transferable by descent and sufficient to characterize it as a distinct human type. That's not helpful. What we're going to understand from Scripture today is this. Race is actually a human construct. It's something that, that even changes over time. Missiologists and and sociologists that study these types of things, one of the terms that they use when they talk about race, it's a better term. It's just a people group. And missiologists have discovered there's about 16,000 different distinct, unique people groups on the globe. In my particular neighborhood, there are, there are dozens of people groups that actually live in the same neighborhood. I'm sure it's the same in your neighborhood as well. A people group is distinguished by their ethnicity, but another contributing factor is by language. And so 4,000 of those people groups have yet to even hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's part of the unfinished task that we have to get the gospel to every tribe and every tongue and every language and every nation. And so the great news about living as an American citizen, if you're a kingdom citizen, is those people groups are coming here. It is something that God has given us a great advantage of is they're coming here. I have a new next door neighbor and, and as soon as they moved in, we got to talking, and we, we just, like, I found out they were kingdom citizens. And they would prayed specifically that God would send them to the specific house 
that God wanted them to live in. And, um, and, and they didn't know it at the time, but they were moving right into the, pa- to the, next, to the neighborhood next to the pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel. So, um, um, they're, and they're coming to Harvest Bible Chapel. They didn't have a choice. Um, but uh, they're, they're here, and they're wonderful people. They're Korean in their background. And when they talk to me, they speak English. But when they talk to each other, maybe about me, they speak Korean, okay? And they're, they're, it's, it's, it's all a melting pot because of globalization and migration and technology. It's all mixing together. So even to talk about race is difficult. It might help you to know that these Korean Americans just moved here from Ohio. And Scott, Scott, my Korean-American friend, he, he, he was a professor at Ohio State University. See, now some of you just discriminated. Some of you are racist right now against Buckeyes. I, I get that. That's what you need this message, okay? But he's now moved here. He's migrated here, and he's going to become a, he's a professor now at Notre Dame University. See, I mean, there's prejudice in this room right now that needs to be squelched, okay? Um, so, so here I have my, my Korean-American Buckeye Irish? <laughs> Indiana, I mean, even Irish-Indiana, how do we even get that together, okay? So it's all a melting pot. It's all being blended together more so than it's ever been. So it's hard to even talk about these things. Here's what we need to understand. We need to ask the question, where did all these races come from? Where did all these people groups come from? Well, you have to go back to the first page of your Bible, and this is what you find. All people groups were made from one man by God. We all are a part of one human race. We all have one human ancestor. What was his name? Adam. We know about that from reading in Acts chapter 17. Now, this is a New Testament book. It's a history of the early church. And as God was trying to to get the gospel out to different people groups, here's one of the things that we learn as, as the apostle Paul was preaching to a different people group. He said, he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. Do you know what that verse communicates to us? It is God who sovereignly and providentially controls, regulates, and governs the times and the places where people groups live. The fact that you live in northern Indiana is not an accident. And so whatever your place of origin was, that's a wonderful heritage for you to celebrate, and it should be celebrated, but here you are, and we're all in this together, and we share a time in history and we share a geographical dwelling place together. And all of it came from our ancestor Adam in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so God created man. Now, everything that I just affirmed to you, 
is being systematically picked apart in biology classrooms and philosophy classrooms, something called Darwinism, natural selection. Do you remember ninth grade? Do you remember this, ninth grade? Natural selection, the survival of the fittest, is the theory of evolution that competes with our closely held doctrine of creation. Now, those of you that want to be quick to throw out a belief in six-day literal creation and to try to make the first 11 chapters of your Bible allegorical, those of you that are quick to jettison that, can I ask you, what is going to prevent you from being a racist? Because what you believe about Darwinism is survival of the fittest. Might makes right. And Darwinism gives absolutely no motivation or obligation for one who is strong to reach down and help the weak. It makes you discriminate. It puffs you up when you have power. It oppresses you when you are not. Our belief in the equality of mankind is rooted in our doctrine of creation. But if you jettison that, what you fail to understand is we are all one race coming from one man that God sovereignly made. And we say, well, then where did all these different people groups come from? Well, it's not too far in our Bibles that we learn this. In Genesis chapter 10, verse 5, that after the flood and after Noah and his family came out of the ark, we read that from these, the coastland peoples spread. So even there, we have a distinction of people groups, the coastland people groups. How many of you would like to be in the coastland people group? You're a beach person. You want to hang out at the beach? You would have been great in the coastland people groups. My wife, I think, is in that. She's migrated here far away from the coastland. But uh, these coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with their own language, and by their clans in their nations. If you want a biblical word for different people, wor- people groups, the, probably the best word is this word clans. The problem is, is ever since Genesis chapter 10, there has been a clash of clans. It wasn't invented as an app. Originally, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. And so these people groups spread, and by God's providence and sovereignty, He regulated and governed all of it. And so then we see this, All people groups are image bearers of God. We read it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. That word image is very important. It tells us that man bears a reflection of God. Every man in every people group, in some sense, is a mirror of, reflecting the nature and the attributes of God. Do you know what that means? That God's glory can be seen and known by looking at people and people groups. Now, not all people and people groups have the same characteristics. That's why the more we know of all different kinds and types of people, the more glory can be revealed 
by God. If you are white, you are an image bearer of God. You are gloriously white. If you are black, you are an image bearer of God. You are gloriously black. Turn to your neighbor and say, see that right there? That is glorious. Everybody do that right now. See that? That is glorious right there. And if it's black, that is, that is gloriously black. If it's white, it's gloriously white. And all of it together bears the image and the reflection of God. Now, what we do too often is we want to find our greatest glory in our external characteristics. That is idolatry. To think that somehow the color of your skin is the ultimate identifiable mark of you, and you elevate that and glory that, and if, if you're white and somehow you think that you're better than somebody that's not white, that's idolatry. Or if you're black and you think that that's better than somebody that's not black, that's idolatry. Our greatest glory is found in not what makes us different. Our greatest glory is found in what makes us the same. And what makes us the same is this. We were imagined, designed, and produced by the glorious creativity of God to be reflections of the glory of God. And so we all have value, and that's the third thing. All people groups have value from God. All people have equal value from God. Look here at this verse in Galatians chapter 3. It says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. Do you see the word all? All of you kingdom citizens. Black, white, red, yellow, polka dot, purple, it doesn't matter. All of you are sons of God through faith. What makes you a son of God? It's not your skin color. It's not your church. It is through faith that you were made a kingdom citizen. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ, there is neither, notice, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Notice those categories there. Jews or Greeks. Which one of those do you think had advantages in knowing the revelation of God? The Jew. They had more revelation. But notice, in Christ, there's no advantage to the Jew. And then it says, uh, slave or free. Which one of those do you think had the advantage? Slave or free. If you had to sign up for slave or free, which one would you sign up for? You sign up for free. They had economic advantages. But in Christ, there is no disadvantage or advantage of being slave or free. You're all one in Christ. Male or female, which one has the advantage? So often, the male has tried to oppress the female. And here's what we know in Christ. In Christ, we all have equal value. Now, that does not mean that we are all the same. God's statement here in this verse, is about a quality, not sameness. It doesn't mean there's no difference. It means there's no value distinction. 
And so I, I met with a, a black pastor today, uh, this week, um, a friend of mine that I'm getting to know more and more. And um, he's an older man. He's faced racial discrimination. And I was just asking him, help me understand part of your history here and, and how to even talk about these things. And he said, Trent, I don't appreciate it when people say, I'm colorblind. I mean, they're trying to make a statement that I'm not, not racist, but it, that, that's not the best way to talk about that. I said, why not? He said, because you're ignoring the distinctive person that I am. It is by God's providence that I'm black. And for you to somehow be blind to the fact that I'm black robs me of the value of being an image bearer created in the image of of God. And so we have to learn how to talk about these things. Here's the second thing that kingdom citizens know that American citizens need to know. Kingdom citizens are compelled by grace to crush the pride and bitterness that fuels racism. Look at it in Colossians chapter 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Sound familiar? Same language as 1 Peter chapter 2. Chosen race, chosen ones. He says, you're holy and beloved. There's something we're to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Those five clothes that we're to put on, we put that on over whatever skin color or ethnicity or distinguishing mark you have. We all, as kingdom citizens, wear kingdom robes, five of them, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, what do you do with the complaint? You forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. The root of racism is pride, which is an exalted opinion of myself because I've got a certain ethnicity or I've got a certain skin color or I've got a certain economic position. And somehow thinking that you had anything to do with that, you elevate yourself. And the second fuel for racism is bitterness. Once you claim your rights and demand your rights, you know what's going to happen to you? Someone is going to cross and violate your rights you're going to get hurt. And if you harbor that hurt, then it's going to fuel bitterness in your soul. And pride and bitterness is where it creates the gap in our culture. Kingdom citizens crush pride and crush bitterness knowing we are just simply chosen by God. We've received mercy and grace that has nothing to do with who we are and everything to do with who He is. Now, being a chosen child of God, what am I to do? I'm to extend the grace of God through compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience to people who are not like me. People who may have hurt me and offended me, disrespected me, belittled me. And if you are a person who has disrespected and belittled others, crush your pride and begin to serve with a compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient heart. When I graduated from seminary in Memphis, Tennessee, I got my first full-time ministry position in a church. 
It was in northeast Arkansas, and uh, there in that little town, uh, there was a church that hired me as their first full-time youth pastor. So there I was trying to figure out how to minister to youth and teach God's Word. And I had Wednesday night Bible study, and the youth group would show up. And I remember one Wednesday night, I finished the lesson kind of early, and I just said, hey, let's just do question and answers. What are you guys thinking about? What, what questions do you have? And I'll never forget, there was a white girl who raised her hand. She said, I have a question. This was her question. Is it a sin for a white girl to marry a black man? Now, how would you have answered that question, all right? I'm in northeast Arkansas. So, I said, no, it's not a sin. Now, it would be a sin for you to dishonor your parents. It would be a sin for you to disobey your parents. There's a lot of other things, dynamics that go into it. But basically, fundamentally, is it a sin for a black person to marry a white person? No. The Bible does not forbid interracial marriage. It forbids interfaith marriage. An, a believer is not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And um, next question. I moved that as quick as I could to something else, okay? Now, three days later, I was coming in for Sunday morning church, just like this morning, like you came into church, and I was about to walk in the building. I was about to open the door. I remember it very clearly. And I heard a voice behind me in a very deep voice say this, Boy, I turned around, and it was the parent of one of my kids in my youth group. It was actually one of my youth leaders. He was a very friendly man, and we had a good relationship. He was not happy on that day. And this is what he said. He said, boy, I better not ever hear you talk to our girls again about marrying a N-word. And it happened so fast, and from my background being in Oklahoma, I'm like, what did he just say? I can understand that language in Memphis, Tennessee, on the streets. I can understand that language outside of a church. I really don't understand it, but it, I don't understand people that do stupid things. But a person who claims to be a kingdom citizen to have that kind of attitude. And what he needed to do, and what many of us need to do, if you somehow have some superior attitude of pride just because of what your race is, or if you're bitter at someone who has treated you or treated somebody like you or treated one of your ancestors in a way that was unjust, if you let pride or bitterness creep in, that is the fuel for racism. You know what the cure for racism is? Write this down. It's a very profound concept. Just write this down. You ready? Repent! Before God, humble yourself. Acknowledge your pride and arrogance thinking that somehow you are better than another image bearer of God. Repent of belittling and ignoring and isolating and the words of disdain that you've spoken and your attitude of superiority. Lay it before God. Let it convict your heart and slay your soul under the weighty conviction of the Holy Spirit. Repent before God. You have sinned a great sin. 
Not only repent, but you have to be proactive and forgive. If somebody has slighted you, if somebody has betrayed you, if someone has slandered you, if somebody has discriminated against you, forgive. You say, Trent, you don't know what they did to me. You're right. I don't know what they did to you. But I do know what you, by your sin, did to Jesus Christ. And you belittled him by your sin. And you ignored him by your arrogant attitude of independence toward him. And from the cross, he looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And now being a recipient of God's grace, I bend that grace out to everyone who has ever crossed my rights. And I forgive. And then thirdly, we love And when we say love, we don't mean feel something. We mean communicate something. It means to communicate you're a person of value. It means to respect someone, to show kindness to someone, to go out of your way to understand, to seek to understand, to listen to someone, to reach out and cross lines and raise people up and give people opportunities to open your heart And open your home to someone who is not like you. When was the last time someone not like you shared a meal in your house at your table? When was the last time you gave that invitation to somebody? Last Sunday night, Pastor Jamie and I, along with the St. Joseph launch team, were up in... St. Joseph, Michigan, the YMCA, where where we are about to launch this campus. We were having a vision meeting there, and there were some new people. It was a great crowd. We were explaining what we were trying to do and launch this church. We had dismissed the meeting, and we were just all kind of standing around. But I noticed there was was an African-American man who kind of stepped into the room. It's the YMCA, so there's all kinds of people going in to work out and swim and do all kinds of different things. He kind of walked in, and I noticed he was kind of curiously looking around. Tanya had engaged him in conversation. He'd walked in and said, what are y'all doing? And um, he said, we're launching a church, and here's some information about it. It's Harvest Bible Chapel, and we're going to launch a church here, and we'd love you to be a part of it. And then Tanya, she, she motioned me over, and so I got to meet this man, and, and we were explaining more. And he, he looked at me, he said, Harvest, y'all don't have anything to do with that radio program on Saturday morning, do you? And I said, I'm the dude. I'm, I'm the guy. It's Resonate Radio. Yeah, and, and I want you to come and be a part of our church. We're launching this church. And, and I, I could tell the whole time I was talking to him, he was kind of looking over my shoulder. He was just kind of looking and seeing the different people that were there. And I, I knew what he was doing. We, we had a great time. We laughed. And toward the end of our conversation, I, I threw my arm around him. I just leaned into him. I said, do you see these people over my shoulder? They are so white. My church is too white. I need you in my church. He said, yeah, I was wondering where all the black people were. And I said, well, I don't know where they are, but you do. And so I need you to help me get them here on September 11th when we launch this church. He said, I think I'll do that. And we together as kingdom citizens are committed to multiplying other kingdom citizens across all racial lines. That's the third point of this message. Kingdom citizens are compelled by love to cross racial lines to take the gospel 
to people of every race. It's the Great Commission that if you're a part of Harvest, you hear this verse all the time. It is the very core of who we are and why we do what we do. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples. So often we stop there, don't we? What are the next three words? Of all nations. How are you going to do that without engaging someone who is not of the same race or of the same people group as you? We are to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This afternoon, we're going to celebrate baptism of those that have come to Christ and they're expressing their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you have been coming to harvest and there's been a new faith that's welled up in your soul and and yet you have not yet been baptized. Today's your day. In fulfillment of the Great Commission, in obedience to Christ, why don't you come at the end of this service? Pastors will be here and say, you know what? I've surrendered my life to Jesus I need to take my next step in baptism. We're going to do that this afternoon. It's going to be a glorious event. It's why we do what we do. In a few weeks, actually next week, there will be a man and his family that are going to show up in Chicago. They look a little different than most people in Granger, Indiana. I want to introduce you to this family. This is Enrique Novella and his family. I met Enrique along with Andrea and Micah when we went down in March to the little Central American country called Belize. It's an English, English-speaking country, so it's, that means they speak English when we're there, and, um, and, but it's mostly they, they speak in Spanish when they're in their own home. And, um, but we, we went down there really asking God if he would identify a pastor with a pastor's heart, where we could invest in him and plant Harvest Bible Chapel of Belize. Well, Enrique and his family will be arriving in Chicago, and they will spend the next uh, six months in Chicago at our Harvest Pastors Training Center. And then in the month of January, they will have the glorious opportunity of spending January in Granger, okay, from Belize, okay, this is part of our pastor's training, okay, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's preparation for the persecution yet to come, and so uh, his family's going to be, do you understand what I'm telling you folks? Harvest Granger is about to plant another church in, Bel- in Central America, another nation, because we got nothing else going on, right? And we're doing it all in fulfillment of the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. You saw about our work in Liberia. You saw that on the video earlier. We're not giving up on that at all. We're still full throttle there. Now we're going into uh, St. Joseph County, or or we're going to St. Joe into Berrien County, and now we're going to be investing in Belize, Harvest Bible Chapel in, uh, in Indy, South under Brock Graham's leadership will be partnering with us on this, but we're going to have the opportunity to help them build a core group. We're going to take mission trips down there and help them in in training and discipleship and leadership, and some of you are going to come with us on that. You can't do that 
if you're concerned about somebody having a different language, a different skin tone, or a different ethnicity than you. Why do we do it? Because we know the promise in the book of Revelation is this. One day, John was transported into heaven and he saw the final days and it says this, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. They were standing before the throne. Why were they before the throne? Because there was a king and they were kingdom citizens. And they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And again in Revelation chapter 5, praise and a song was sung before the King. You ransomed people from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you have made them kingdom, kingdom citizens and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth forever. I want you to stand to your feet right now. Do you understand that we are a chosen race? We are kingdom citizens commissioned with multiplying other kingdom citizens, and our work is not going to be done until every tribe and every tongue and every nation sings at the top of its lungs praise to our God who reigns forever, and His kingdom will never end. In anticipation of that, let's do that right now.